Seek the sun, therefore, shall make you free. Ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 22nd, 2011. And today it's pretty much going to be a dedicated teaching regarding what's going on in the Middle East with Israel, uh, the Palestinian Authority, and how Obama and our government are uh, figuring into that scenario and also the United Nations. Uh, we're going to be going, there's going to be a lot of Bible as it as it is usually on a weekly basis, interjected into the teaching, uh, hopefully to edify the body of Christ and um, to kind of take these current events and apply them to the Bible and see where we, we line up on a biblical timeline. Uh, before we get started, there was I really wasn't even going to mention this today, but in light of the whole Harold Camping failure, uh, failure of uh, you know the rapture, slash judgment, slash whatever he else he was predicting coming to pass on May 21st. Um, there was just a couple things I wanted to add in here regarding this particular subject. Because there were people, some Christians that were actually defending him, and um, on my website and obviously in other places. Now this was before the failed prophecy. Um, I kind of wanted to wait till after this to say anything because, you know, obviously if you say anything prior to it, well, you know, there is this, they say, well, yeah, there's a possibility. Well, I didn't feel from a biblical standpoint there was ever any possibility. We'll go over that. And I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I also think this is important regarding the end times, regarding the warnings that Jesus Christ gave regarding men like Harold Camping, um, who officially, I mean, he's been a false prophet since 1994 when he made his first prediction like this. And now he's done it again. It's just this time he had a whole lot more money, and he had a whole lot more press, and I really believe that was all by design, because the media knew that wasn't going to happen, and it was just one more way to kind of like discredit Christianity in mass. I believe that was the real reason that he received so much press. Uh, this is a comment from Dale off my website, and he's addressing Tim. He says, I'm not sure that we disagree all that much, but maybe. When you say we fall short of the glory of God, true we do, but it doesn't end there. Either One either represents sin, or one persists in self-determination to continue in sin. Harold Camping has put his own, quote, wisdom, a wisdom that comes from the devil, above the word of God. Now, we can absolutely 100% say that that is the case at this point regarding this prophecy. The wisdom did not come from the Holy Spirit. Okay, he can preach 99% truth, and out of a King James Bible, and I'm not saying any of us have it all figured out, but this is a major, major issue. Okay, this is an issue that is going to shipwreck the faith of many. This is an issue that is that is going to put a massive stumbling block before not only his followers, but also people that might have been on the fence about becoming a Christian. You know, they look at this fiasco and they think, well, if, you know, this guy represents God, why, what do I want anything to do with this for? I mean, he can't even get this date right, you know. You understand that what, what the world will use to try to justify through this, and then also his his followers and, you know, they're... they're pretty much disgraced at this point. These are people that were on the streets and with placards and in airports and wherever they could go, handing out pamphlets and driving around their cars and, and putting up billboards and all these things, and they're totally 
disgraced. Everything that they had put their faith in, which essentially boiled down to a man and his prediction. You could say, no, it was the word of God. No, it was a man and his failed prediction. He did not receive this wisdom from above. He did not receive this wisdom from the Holy Spirit. He couldn't have. It would not have been false. According to Deuteronomy 18, the test of a prophet is that he has to get it right all the time. And that it also has to line up with the word of God. He did neither. Now, if he lived in the Old Testament times, he would have been taken out uh, right after 6 o'clock and stoned to death as a false prophet. That would have been his punishment. In 1994, same thing. I'm, ta- I'm talking if he lived in like the Old Testament Jewish Levitical system. That's, that's the, what the punishment was for false prophecies, for a false prophet. So I, I don't think this is something that God takes any less lightly in today's day and age. Just like there's a lot of things that the Old Testament talks about with homosexuality and, and child sacrifice and these types of things. And they were also death sentence. And these are things that defile the land. And, and God, I don't believe he takes them any less seriously today either. No, we're not supposed to go out and stone people and, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That's what God says. We're not supposed to you know, act in that manner, but it's still a big deal to God, obviously. And when you put a stumbling block before your brother, the Bible says, Romans 14, 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Now, this is hypocritical judging, what they're talking about here. This is when you have a beam in your own eye, and you're judging the speck in your brothers, which was what Jesus Christ talked about in that parable. Then it goes on to say, but judge, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. This is what this man has basically centered his life around doing at this point. Now, he may not have even thought he was doing that. I hope he didn't. I mean, I, I hope at least, you know, he was sincerely hope, thinking he was doing the right thing. I don't know. I mean, I can't really judge on that end, but... The bottom line is, is he put a massive stumbling block before his followers and before other people that may have been on the fence about, you know, Christianity or becoming a Christian and these types of things. It's not going to help anything, this type of stuff. Uh, So, Jesus Christ said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and then he goes on to state what that is, which is their doctrine. The doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They had added to the word of God, or given the word of God an unscriptural interpretation. This is what Harold Camping did through his massive, unbiblical mathematics that he used to arrive at this date. This is exactly what he did. So, a little leaven... Leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven is like yeast in bread. It only takes a little bit to permeate through the whole lump and to make the whole uh, loaf rise. Okay, Leaven is always considered a type of sin or bad doctrine. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So, a little leaven in Harold Camping's doctrine has obviously permeated through his whole ministry. And I don't care if he's preaching out of the King James and basically, other than that, a pretty sound biblical preacher, which some people have claimed, I really don't know, I've never listened to him. He has caused and thrown a massive stumbling block. He has proven himself to be a false prophet. 
And we're supposed to mark them which cause division in offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's what he has done. He has deceived the hearts of the simple. The baby Christians, the ones that haven't progressed to strong meat, they're on the milk still, and... He got them most likely when they were babies, and they ne- they're, therefore they never grew up. They put their trust in a man. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 17.5, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. They've put their trust in a man and his doctrine. They could say, no, no, it's the Bible. No, it's not. We've proven that it's not the Bible, because it did not come too fast. Pass. Therefore, it is a false prophecy. Hopefully this... Makes sense. I'm not. I mean, it's not like you know. I hate this man or have anything personal against him. It's just that I'm pointing out facts here. If I had done this, if I had made a similar prophetic prediction that did not come to pass, I would deserve to be unbelievably rebuked as well. I'm not trying to hold him to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. Is the point I'm trying to make? So, going with this comment. Um, from Dale to Tim, he says, okay, Harold Camping has put his own wisdom, a wisdom that comes from the devil above the word of God. What do you do with statements like, now these are from Harold Camping, quote, if this prophecy, May 21st, doesn't come to pass, then the Bible is a lie. End of quote. What audacious, blasphemous, irreverent, prideful, arrogant, I mean, this, if this man wasn't totally blinded by pride, he was. It was obvious. With a statement like that. See, pride blinds you. Well, he seems so humble. He seems so sincere. Yes. Do you ever hear that expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? There's actually a lot of truth in that statement. It's not really in the Bible, but it kind of is. Because the Bible does say in Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25, that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, it felt right in my heart when he was preaching. Well, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It also says, he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. And the other one was uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. So, you know, sorry, but, you know, this is what happened here, and um, we're just pointing out the obvious at this point. So, let's go to go further. Um, if this prophecy doesn't come, come to pass, then the Bible is a lie. <laughs> wow, that's... That's something else there. And then... Uh, that isn't just falling short of God's glory. That's blasphemy. And since Campion has already proven to be a false prophet, instead of humbly repenting and confessing his sin publicly, since it affected so many publicly, he has chosen to justify it capriciously, saying, quote, We didn't have all the information then, which was 1994, that we have now. But now it's irrefutable, end of quote. So that was a quote. We didn't have all the information then, 1994, that we have now, and now it's irrefutable, end of quote. No, it's not. No, it's not. This wisdom that you thought that you procured from God or the Holy Spirit did not come from God or the Holy Spirit. It came from a devil or a demon or a fallen angel or whatever. Something evil gave you this. It did not come from the Holy Spirit. So, 
Then he goes on to say again, I repeat, what bombastic arrogance. He hasn't repented. I feel sorry for those he and family radio are deceiving. But Harold Camping is of the devil. Not simply an heir in this particular area. Thus his ministry is of the devil, while sounding so sweet. You know, that's true. Again, one need not turn to family radio to get King James Bible readings or to hear pleasant gospel hymns. Well, if you were the devil, and you wanted to deceive, the, the, let's say, the remnant that had figured out, now I'm not saying that only the remnant has this figured out, but for the most part, okay, you figured out, okay, the King James Bible uh, is the word of God in the English-speaking language, and, you know, we want to try to stay away from worldly music, and we want to kind of seek ye the old paths, wearing his wisdom, as the Bible instructs us to do. And maybe he was trying to, gave the veneer that he was doing a lot of those things. So, if you were the devil, wouldn't that be an area where you would want to focus on deceiving those Christians? Not just deceiving the worldly, secular Christians, which is the majority, which are already deceived, which are already in the devil's camp, essentially? Well, this is a great way to do it. To discourage many. To shipwreck their faith. To cast a stumbling block before the brethren. He did a good job. Going further, Ephesians 4.14, and I, I added these in. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie, they lie in wait to deceive. I get emails all the time from people saying, yeah, but this guy made a really good point about it. And it's something so unbiblical. But it sounded right. And see, the thing is, is the Bible says, for in the end times, you know, in the latter days, in the end times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4.1 That's what we should be on the lookout for. That we should be on the lookout for all of these, you know, they said that they're, they're going to have, uh, people are going to go after these teachers having, the, the, a lot of people call themselves believers, teachers having itching ears. They're going to run to and fro, seeking after wisdom and knowledge, but they're not going to find it according to the book of Amos. So, we're not supposed to be children. Okay, and that again implies a baby Christian that's still on the milk, which we talked about last week. Carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, because men are the ones that God, or that the devil uses in order to do this, to pull this off. And cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He was a deceiver. Harold Campion is a deceiver. Number one, he's proven that. Actions speak louder than words. I could care less about if he sounds sincere at this point. Sincerity is no test of truth. I'm sure the devil's very sincere in his actions to want to destroy every one of us. So, you know, that's not really the, the uh, acid test for truth, okay? So let's go further. The next verse, Ephesians 4.15 said, But speaking the truth in love, which is what we should try to do in our own ministries that we all have, speaking the truth in love, the Bible says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth, according to Galatians 4.16? I mean, that's the question. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Most of the time, yes, that is exactly what will happen. I cannot tell you how many friends I have lost over the years, but after I got saved, 
It's the norm. It is the norm for that to happen. The Holy Spirit's living inside you as a born-again Christian, and there's going to be a repulsion much of the time. If somebody is in the world, okay, and they're looking at you, and you're around them, your very presence many times may convict them of their own sin, and they don't want to be around that. Now, I'm not saying they can't also see a change. They will see a change in you if you're truly born again. And then ultimately end up getting converted. But I'm talking about from a worldly, secular standpoint. It's it's kind of a repulsion factor. And it's the same with a Christian, too. It's like you kind of want to get away from that. You don't want that old lifestyle or whatever you were doing before, that, that you were in the world before you were saved. Now, I'm not saying this, this always happens instantaneously in everyone. I understand the Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But for some people that have had a ton of sin in their life, it becomes more of a process in order to, you know, get to that point as well. I mean, I had, basically, after I got saved, I had about four or five years where I was in the woodshed from God. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you, if you be without chastisement, then you are bastards, which is an illegitimate child. So I had about four or five years of pure chastisement after I got saved. And I didn't understand even what it really was because I was really never taught that until I got into a, a decent Bible um, teaching church that taught me that. The Pentecostal movement didn't teach me that. The Baptists were better at showing that particular aspect. And again, I don't even associate myself with the denomination at this point because I just don't see any Bible for it. I just call myself a born-again Bible-believing Christian. Saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, deserving of hell. <laughs> But, praise the Lord, he saved me. So, just kind of want to clarify some points here regarding this particular subject. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And it talks about growing up, you know. And, and we're not supposed to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. There is a ton of unbiblical doctrine out there. Particularly with the modern day advent of the internet. All these different ministries, all the lukewarm churches out there, all the corporate lukewarm 501c3 churches in bed with the IRS and the government that are just waiting for their chance to sell their congregations out when things get bad. I'm not saying everyone, but most of them, by far, the vast majority. And then all of the other cults and other religions out there and things of this nature... You know, there's so much deception out there. And Jesus Christ said of this time in Matthew 24 to be not deceived. So that is the very thing that we should be really looking out for is to not be deceived. That's why I do not try to point people to myself. I try to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. In the English speaking language, the King James Bible. Get in his word, read his word, and, you know, that's the ultimate truth here. That's where I want to always point you. Not to a man. And I'm not saying there's not decent ministries out there. But it seems like they're becoming fewer and fewer. And you always need to compare what the ministries are saying to the word of God. So, let's go further. Dr. Dixon writes, this is just an excerpt from his article he wrote on Will Jesus Christ Return May 21st. And he writes of this whole Harold Camping fiasco. Now, this is before it actually happened. Okay, this is, this is, but it's, obviously it's even more appropriate to read now because it's confirmed as truth. 
All of this confirms the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he said to his disciples, And many false prophets shall shall rise and deceive many. Now this is regarding the end times. Okay, well, we're there. So, I'm not saying we're in the tribulation or anything like that, but I'm saying we're, we're on the cusp. We're, we're in the beginning of sorrows here. Earthquakes and pestilences and divers' places and wars and rumors of wars. I mean, we're there. Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. In fact, he said, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. True, Matthew 24, 24 is where it says that. So we need to really guard ourselves, guard our hearts, compare everything with the word of God. Um, If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. To not think more highly than we ought of ourselves. And if we see our our brother overtaken in an air, the Bible says, go to such an one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. Okay, in other words, if you go to him and say, well, I've got it all figured out, you little peon Christian. I'm going to set you straight. I'm going to openly rebuke you before all. You know what? You've already been blinded by pride. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time to, to, at this point, you know, the Bible does talk about, you know, go to that one privately and then take another. And I know there's a a hierarchy order if you're in a church to do that, okay? Um, But you go to such an one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. So when you initially go to them, you, you know, and, and you don't ever want to go to them with pride, I guess you would want to say. You would want to go to them almost in a spirit of fear and trembling, like, hey, you know, uh, and, and almost like you would want it, like what you would want done to yourself is how you want to approach them. Do unto others as you'd have done unto yourself, essentially, okay? As men would do unto you, do the also do you also unto them, which is essentially the golden rule. Okay, which is true. It's a biblical tenet. You know, if you don't want to be treated that way, don't, you know, don't treat another person that way. So going further, it says, I have been shocked, and this is Dr. Dixon, he says, I've been shocked at the normally stable Christian believers who should know better than have been caught up in this foolishness about Harold Camping. A pastor in Melbourne, Florida, met some friends at a local Walmart. When they left, they said, quote, see you in the rapture, end of quote, Knowing that the pastor didn't get the drift, they said, you know, May 21st. I mean, everybody knows the rapture's May 21st. Come on, pastor, get with it. This isn't the first time that these predictions of the coming of Christ and the end of the world have been made. Since the Lord Jesus Christ predicted that he would return bodily to his earth to receive his kingdom and rule over the nations, men have been looking for him in their lifetime and suggesting that world events surely determine that it would be soon. Even his disciples asked him at the Temple Mount, what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Uh, History has been replete with those who have set dates for the coming of Christ, only to be mocked when they awoke the next morning and had to say to their followers, guess what, I miscalculated. I I hear, I don't know, I saw this report yesterday, I don't know if he's turned up or not, but they can't find Harold Camping. I don't know, as if he was like, he's been gone for like two days or something. He disappeared like a day before this all went down, and, you know, the media was all over this, you know, I knew they were going to be, and they were, they immediately went to his office, and I guess somebody in his office, they went in there, and and he got belligerent, and almost assaulted somebody, I mean, these people, their faith has been just shattered, but then again, they had their faith in the wrong thing, 
essentially. They had their faith in a date. They had their faith in really a man. Um, and, you know, they could argue that point all day long, but, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that's the case. And they were showing people that were, like, out back of the office. The office has been totally shut down. And there was nobody in it um, after that point, And there was, like, three guys in the back that were part of this movement. And they looked all dejected. And the camera crews were filming them. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not a good deal. So it goes on to say, amazingly, many like camping set another date. And their followers went with them again. Uh... There's a website called the Date Setter's Diary. And I give you the link here. And it that gives the chronology of date setters for the past 2,000 years. 48 since 1900. 48 times they've set the date for the rapture, people, various people, since the 19, 1900. Obviously, they have all been wrong. Be assured, one more will wake up wrong on May 22nd. Obviously, that's already happened, and it was at 6 o'clock anyway. So, um, of course, I was wondering, is that 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, or was it Mountain or Central? I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter at this point, because we're, you know, way beyond the 6 o'clock point of May 21st. But, uh, yeah, so we got some, you know, some things that you can look at here where this has happened many, many times in the past as well. When, I remember the last time I got into a, I don't know if you say a conflict with a Jehovah Witness when I was uh, actively practicing. A lady came in, I believe she was one of my patients, and um, started trying to give me literature on the Jehovah Witnesses. They were always leaving it out in the waiting room and stuff. And um, I don't play their game. I don't let them take me where they want to take me because they're trained to take you to certain parts in the Bible to get you to doubt your faith in the Word of God. See, the whole basis of cults is to get you to doubt your faith in the Word of God. That's where they'll that's where they'll try to take you. And I just started talking about their their magazine, which is the Watchtower, which was supposedly angelically inspired every month. Meaning the writings of the Watchtower are supposedly written by angels, angelically inspired. And I said, and I asked her, I said, this Watchtower, you know, um, isn't it supposed to be angelically inspired? I believe that was the name of the magazine anyway. It was the one they always leave everywhere. These are cursed objects. They're leaving. So if you have any of them in your possession, you need to get rid of them, burn them preferably. I don't keep anything of the occult in my possession. Whether it be the Satanic Bible, whether it be Masonic uh, Bibles, whether it be Masonic referencing things, I don't keep any of that stuff for research because it is a cursed item. You do not know how it could be affecting you on a spiritual level if you bring it into your house. Get rid of it. I just don't, I mean, even, even if it's an apostate preacher or somebody like that, get rid of it. Don't have those things in your house. I literally believe there's demons assigned to these types. Of, it's like a cursed object. So, um, I asked her, I said, well, if this magazine is supposedly angelically inspired, why in the world did they predict the end of the world? And at the time, I had the years, a whole bunch of the years memorized. You know, 1950, 1929. There was all these years they predicted the end of the world in Jehovah Witnesses. And <laughs> she had obviously no answer for that whatsoever. And she got, you could tell then her face started getting mad and angry and then she kind of stormed out. And, you know, I was just pointing out the facts 
you know, I don't play their game. I try to turn the tables on them because I'm not going to let them take me to some obscure verse in the Bible and build a whole doctrine around it to try to get me to doubt my faith. Um, and a good resource for that is Chick.com where they've got different books on how to deal with different cults, Jehovah Witnesses, um, Mormons. They need to have one on the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, because that's a cult just like the rest of it. It's just more subtle. And a works-based, cultic, you know, religion. Started by a person. You know, and, and not grounded in the Word of God, but grounded in extra-biblical teachings, grounded in extra-biblical prophecies. These are the common denominator that you see with pseudo-Christian cults that spring up. And there's a lot of, there's a ton of churches out there that are cults unto themselves. You know, they have their own doctrine that, that veers from the Bible, and they have their own little group, and they, and they start thinking, well, I'm really something, I'm really special. I, I, I'm the only one on the planet that has this figured out. I'm so special I'm, that God's the only one that showed me in this, in this little flock that we've got. Okay, so going further, uh, Dr. Dixon goes on to say, how can I make a bold statement that Jesus Christ will not return this Saturday, May 21st, because he said that no... Because he said that he wouldn't. He said to his disciples, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If our Heavenly Father has told no man, including the angels in heaven, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, I don't think he has left, has let Harold Camping in on the secret. And obviously he hasn't. The reason is very simple. He wants us to all be ready for he may come today. These clowns that are having their rapture parties are no like are no doubt like the crowd that laughed at Mr. Noah. Now, I understand he's pre-trib, some are post-trib, some are mid-trib. I know, all I can tell you is one thing. As far Regarding the pre-trib rapture, we're all going to know soon enough, I believe, because we're most likely very near the start of the tribulation. And the, tri- and the pre-trib rapture would have to occur pre-tribulation. So, as opposed to starting gigantic arguments and debates about this because I've seen this. I've seen how this goes when you start a debate on the rapture. I would say my listeners are probably split 50-50. Pre-trib, post-trib. Okay? I start a big debate on this because I've had a lot of people want me, want me to get into this. Okay? This thing would last probably six months in order to cover all the various nuances and arguments and things of this nature that would crop up. I've seen these happened before. I've been on the outside looking in when people debated about this, and it never ends. And ultimately, what I have seen is that the ultimate fruit of it is typically that it doesn't really end up swaying anybody in their belief systems. Very few people end up getting swayed to say, wow, you know, I'm going to come over to this way of thinking, or I'm going to go over to that one. So I have chosen not to engage in this debate. Not only that, I have got so many current events breaking on a weekly basis, like we're going to discuss today on Israel, that if I did that, I would literally have to shut down this ministry for a huge amount of time in order to address that issue, and it would be never-ending. I have absolutely no conviction whatsoever to do that or to embark on something like that. Okay, I'm a watchman. I'm here. I'm trying to reconcile in time of current events with the Bible. Regarding the rapture thing, we're all going to know soon enough if the pre-trib rapture is either of God or it's not of God. Okay? So, that is pretty much where I'm at right now on this particular subject. I just cannot afford to take months and months out of this when I can barely keep up with the current events I have on a weekly basis as it is. 
So, just so you know, um, I'm not, a, also, I'm not a pastor. I'm not somebody I, you know, went to whatever, Bible school, seminary, or whatever, and, you know, I'm just trying to be a watchman. It's all I've ever claimed to be. And, um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention that. So, going further, uh, let's see here. Okay, so, if our Heavenly Father has told no man, including the angels in heaven, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, I don't think he's let Harold Camping in. Uh, the reason is simple. He wants us to all be ready, for he may come today. These clowns that are having their rapture parties, there's people out there that were, this, in the secular world, that were already starting to have like what they call rapture parties in order to celebrate and, and the, you know the, some of them were saying yeah if it really does happen then we can go loot all of the Christians houses that got raptured or whatever you know what I was thinking might actually happen because I've read about a lot of this in, in um, the occult not I haven't actually read the occult literature but the occult has taught in many spots that they're planning a false rapture a rapture of, let's say, high-level people in the New Age movement and these types of things. And in order to totally throw a monkey wrench into the, into the theology of Christianity, okay? And they've been, you know, through things like uh, technology that they have, like Project Blue Beam and those types of things, that they were playing in a false rapture. We've seen this a lot on various, you know, like UFO-related movies and shows and things like this, where they'll actually take people out and, and, and they'll disappear and, and these types of things. It's been a common theme in a lot of different shows. So that could also be a satanic parlor trick that Satan is getting ready to, a card that he's getting ready to play, that will also act in a very similar way as this Harold Camping rapture date uh, fiasco, in order to try to shipwreck the faith of many. That's what the ultimate goal of Satan is regarding these types of issues. So, going further... Uh, these people having the rapture parties are no doubt like the crowd that laughed at Mr. Noah when he built an ark and said that there was going to rain uh, when it had never rained before. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So he brings up some other good points there. Just wanted to interject that. Um, that's all we're going to mention on that for today. And let's go straight into the study here. Um, some Bible verses regarding this whole study regarding Israel and Islam and the land for peace, Palestinian state negotiation, how Obama is trying actively to sell out Israel as, as much as he possibly can uh, and turn his back on them. We're going to be talking a lot about that today, how they were actually attacked on the 15th, which I had told you about um, in the study, I believe two weeks before it happened, that they were planning on actively storming uh, several different borders in Israel, the uh, um, Islam, the Muslims, um, in order to uh, protest their expulsion from the land course, actually, we're going to talk about that as well, um, decades ago. Okay, so let's go further here. The Bible says in Psalm 122, verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. So this is something that we should do. I mean, the Bible does say that. 
Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper. Now, understanding that the only time that Israel is going to have true peace is when the Prince of Peace comes back at the end of the tribulation and establishes his thousand year reign on earth. Okay, and sets up his throne there. So these are that's when Israel is actually going to have peace. But it is something we should still pray for. Okay, but until that time, obviously, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and all kind of things going on. Uh, next verse says, "Peace be within thy walls," meaning Israel or Jerusalem, and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, "Peace be within thee." So. Just a biblical tenet there to think about. Isaiah 62.6 says, I have set a watchman upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Now, wouldn't that be us, the Christians? It's not going to be the modern day Jews that are bound up in false, the false religion of Judaism, which is only going to take them to hell. If they follow that religion, it rejects Jesus Christ. That's how I know, because it rejects Jesus Christ. I've done several teachings on this, how so much of Judaism has been um, infiltrated and influenced by the Talmud, and even the Kabbalah at the higher levels. The Talmud, I mean, you talk about blasphemous statements against Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't even repeat many of the things the Talmud would say about Jesus Christ. Or what they condone that you can do to little children. I've read from the Babylonian Talmud direct quotes from there before in previous teachings. And it's not pretty. So, but, so think about this. So Isaiah 62.6, who would it apply to? Well, it would apply to a born-again Bible-believing Christian. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, wouldn't that be us? As a born-again Christian? Keep not silence. So this is a big deal to God. And then it goes on in the next verse and says, And give him no rest. Give who? I believe it's talking about God. Why? Because of the next part of the verse. Give him no rest till he establish. Till he establish. And till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. When is that going to be? When Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation to set up his thousand-year millennial reign on earth. I mean, is it going to be now? Is Jerusalem going to be praised now? Or is it going to be a cup of trembling? Well, it's going to be a cup of trembling up until the time Jesus Christ comes back and straightens everything out. So, and give him no rest, meaning give God no rest. What do you mean give God no rest? Hold not your peace day or night. Keep not silence. Meaning, this is something that I think God does want us to pray about regarding Jerusalem specifically. I mean, I think it's really obvious. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, which would be a Bible-believing Christian, keep not silence. And give him no rest, meaning give God no rest, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He doesn't want you to give him rest regarding that. He wants you to be like the Jesus Christ talks about that, uh, was it the widow and the unjust judge, and she kept going to him and bothering him day and night until he finally gave in, and that was an unjust judge. He wants us to be like that regarding Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying it should be the only thing we pray about, but I think it's something that, that 
there's a spiritual tenet here um, regarding Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Well, that's a nice blessing. You know, I'm not saying that's our motivation, but I mean, I mean, I think there's a, a, a um, you know, you can read into that a little bit, you know, for the, the protective hand of the Lord. If, if God's going to prosper you, he's going to protect you. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean there's not going to be people that are going to suffer and go through tribulation and, and these types of things, but um, there is a blessing connected. This is, is the point I'm trying to make. So then if we skip ahead to Isaiah 62, verse 11, which is four verses up, it says, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Thou shalt be called sought out in a city not forsaken. A city not forsaken. This is in reference to Jerusalem. Okay? This is the context of this chapter. So, say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. This is talking basically to Jerusalem. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people. The people, I believe, that live in Jerusalem at some point. And I believe this will be at the end, near the end of the tribulation, when two-thirds of the Jews have actually been... Uh, destroyed, for lack of better terms, according to Zechariah. And one-third will be tried as silver, will be tried as, you know, silver through a fire. And they're the the ones that are going to come out on the other side of that, in Jerusalem and in Israel, and they're going to be called as holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. And we're going to give you some more verses that confirm that. I went over those verses in Zechariah, I believe Zechariah 11. And, I mean, they're pretty, uh, I mean, they're pretty clear. You know, Israel is, at some point, going to turn back to the Lord. But it's going to be through much tribulation um, that this does happen. Okay, and again, stay with me because we're going to go over a lot more verses that will confirm some of the other things that we've said. And sometimes it's hard because somebody comes in, it's the first time you've ever heard me, and you come in and it's like, yeah, but what about this and that? And I've already covered it in depth in maybe several other teachings. So it's kind of rough because I just can't bring you up to speed instantaneously. It would take you, you know, a lot of maybe Bible study and listening to other teachings that I've put up in order for you to understand where I'm kind of coming from on a given issue. Uh, you can go up to continuedfortruth.com and do keyword searches. Um, for specific topics. And uh, as of this week, uh, a, a listener that had contacted me has done some uh, awesome work on the website, Dan, and he has repaired all of the broken links that were up on the older teachings, not the newer ones I've posted, like in the last, I don't know, year to six months, but the older teachings where the links were broken they're, they've all been repaired. There were a lot of teachings that were actually duplicates up there. They've been deleted. And we're in the process of trying to get an email. My email list straightened out right now. So if you've asked to be added on an email list, I have you in kind of a holding pattern right now. I cannot add you on right yet. I have to straighten the email situations that I have out right now. And then we're going to have a box up on the website, Lord willing, that will allow you to get added on and... Um, 
you can either subscribe or unsubscribe, and you don't have to go through me anymore. You'll be able to just do it through the, the service. But I haven't got that going yet, and I will try to get the people that have asked me to get on the newsletter added on. But again, it may be a couple more weeks before this gets totally done. Um, so let's go further. Let's see here. Israel, this is the first story. Israel was invaded on May 15th. Tiny Israel was attacked on all three borders. Now this is what I had talked about a couple weeks ago that they were planning on doing. Um, let's see here. Israel invaded on Sunday. These are provocative words designed to quickly get the attention of Bible-believing Christians everywhere in the world. This is from Cutting Edge. Um, you see, the Bible is chock full of prophecies which foretell that Israel is going to be attacked by her immediate Arab neighbors. Uh, you can look in Psalm 83, the Psalm 83 alliance, and by the Russian-led alliance of Ezekiel 38, and by modern-day descendants of the house of Esau, the Palestinians, in Obadiah, 15 through 18, and Isaiah 34. So again, we don't have time to go into all that today, um, but these are some places in the Bible that is mentioned. However, this invasion on Sunday was not by the armed forces of Arab nations, but by individual protesters. This time, however, the invaders weren't armed forces. Nonetheless, they did come, they did not come in peace, and their attempt to enter Israel was no less an act of war than the invasions of 1967 and 1973. And the rockets, rockets that the jihadists regularly shoot into Israel from Gaza. I mean, they're always shooting rockets into Israel all the time. That's okay. It's not even reported on anymore. Way over 10,000 in like the last 10 years. Probably more like fifteen or 20,000 that have been launched into Israel. Which is an act of war. But Israel's supposed to just sit there and, you know, just kind of go into a defensive posture. And when they do defend themselves, they're demonized by the world. Because the poor Palestinians, I mean, you know, they've only got, you know, like 800 times the land mass as Israel. If, if I think it's, yeah, that's bare minimum. It's getting smaller and smaller. I mean, I went over this before in depth on how small and tiny Israel is compared to the Middle East. And that it has nothing to do with these poor Palestinians being exposed. Uh, driven off their land. It has everything to do with the annihilation of Israel, which is the goal of Islam, which is what the Quran tells their followers to do. And all the imams and all the extra-biblical, well, it's extra-biblical, Islamic writings. It's a cult. It's a death cult. So, thousands of Palestinian Arabs tried to enter the country from Lebanon, Syria, Gaza, Judea, and Samaria. Their declaration intention, announced weeks ago on Facebook, was to return to the land's from which they had been expelled in 1948. The Facebook page was clear, made clear the sinister intentions of Sunday's actions. It was entitled the Third Palestinian Intifada. And after it posted numerous calls for violence against Israel, Facebook took it down after it gained 350,000 members. Now here's just kind of... I'm, an excerpt, I, this is kind of like a, we're going to go back to this article from Cutting Edge, but this is more of a, a little current event update. Uh, it's entitled, Israeli Hunt for Syrian Hezbollah Spies Who Slipped In Through the Golan. Army and security services have fanned out across the West Bank in search of five and eight, five and eight Syrian Hezbollah secret agents to have believed to have slipped across the Syrian-Israeli-Golan border under the cover of the Palestinian mob incursion of May 15th. In other words, they created a, a diversion where spies could actually slip into Israel and plot whatever they're trying to plot. 
Okay. Counterterrorism sources report that Israeli intelligence believes Hamas and Hezbollah, clandestine West Bank terror cells, were standing by to drive the infiltrators straight to the hideouts where uh, false identities awaited them. So, it's all by design. Information reaching IDF or Israeli Defense Force intelligence indicates that Syria has its has been preparing its next civilian assault on the Israeli border for June 5th. So here's the next one, June 5th, okay? Which marks the 44th anniversary of the Six-Day War and the delineation of the new borders. The Syrians are again working hand-in-glove with Hezbollah and the same Palestinian um, rejectionists to stage additional offenses for then June 7th. Israeli... Shavat festival and the anniversary of Jerusalem's liberation and reunification. So they've got more stuff planned for June 5th and June uh, 7th. You might want to be in prayer about that. Uh, Our sources say this is a red herring to misdirect Israeli commanders in the same way as the Syrians planted a false lead to Kanetira and staged their break in at Majdid al-Sham. Sorry, I, I don't speak the language very good. In fact, the attempts to breach the Gaza fence will occur somewhere else or in several places on the assumption that the IDF has not recovered from May 15th. In other words, they're just going to keep hitting them and hitting them hard because they figure, well, they can't recover if we keep hitting them over and over again. Um, Has not recovered from the May 15th events and lacks the trained manpower and crowd control gear for breaking up a raging mob. Hamas hopes to present the spectacle as part of an Arab revolt against the tyrannical regimes, so to gloss over the obvious hostile act of war against a sovereign nation. Notice Israel's never trying to get into their trying to get into their settlements to take their land. I mean, granted, they've given up land. They've given up land over and over and over. Israel's never the aggressor trying to get into their land to take their land. It's always the other way around. And that's okay. That's okay. Well, because Satan is the one behind it, and the world media is going to support Satan. So, you know, they can do every manner of evil thing on the planet, these terrorists, which they do, and we have documented over and over and over, and that's all right. It's good, in fact. We need to just shut our mouth and not say anything against the Muslims or, or, or the Islamic world, because that's politically incorrect. Now, what is politically correct is to demonize Israel, and to demonize their efforts to defend themselves... And to, you know, just demonize them in general. Now, I'm not saying that there's not wicked Zionists at the head of the Illuminati or at the head of even the Israeli government, okay? I'm not just giving them a free pass and saying, well, everything they do, I support. In fact, I'm going to go so far like John Hagee to believe that they, they're, they're, they're saved just because of the blood that flows through their veins. And it's called ethnic salvation. You know, it's what he's, t- he's taught for a long time. A lot of people teach that. We don't have to witness to the Jews. They're, they're just grandfathered into heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell as well. So we need to have balance when it comes to dealing with Israel. But regarding these wicked Zionists that are um, at the head of so many different banking cartels and the Illuminati and these types of things, what we need to um, also recognize is the Bible says that they are of the synagogue of Satan. Okay? They're of the synagogue of Satan. And that they're, they call themselves Jews, but they're not. Okay, they say they're Jews, but they're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. They're a false. Uh, they're a false Jew, essentially. So anyway, um, going further here, let's see here. Um, okay, so 
Okay, so let's go further. So before we go on, this is back to the Cutting Edge article, we must correct a misstatement in the news article that was stated, that I had stated recently. And I stated it twice, actually. Palestinians were not expelled during the 1948 war. Rather, they left en masse at the urging of Arabic radio and newspapers. These Arab commentators said that if the Palestinians remained in the land, they would just get in the way of Arabic armies who were at war with the tiny nation of Israel. These same commentators promised a very quick victory and an equally quick return to the land once the Israelis were eradicated. Historical fact is clear, the Palestinians fled of their own accord. Okay, sorry, um... Had a gigantic windstorm here, and we've got totally lost power the whole area, and probably until five o'clock in the morning. So every time I seem to do these these teachings regarding Israel, I have just <laughs> uh, amazing opposition. It seems like in the uh, spirit world, uh, it just doesn't seem like the devil wants me doing these, and I can understand why. Really, all we're doing is pointing out the obvious regarding this particular subject. Uh, so, anyway, um, regarding the um, regarding this whole Palestinian account, um, these same commentators promised a quick victory and an equally quick return to the land once the Israelis were eradicated. Historical fact is clear. The Palestinians fled of their own accord. See, their arrogance and their pride is their downfall because they truly believe that their unholy devil book, the Quran, and all the other extra whatever Islamic writings that they're gonna that they're going to slay and destroy Israel. They believe that because their demonically inspired writings teach them that. But they're deluded. They're deluded and they're full of pride and arrogance regarding this fact. Um, so going further, Israelis Prime Minister demonstrated that he knew the true intentions of these protesters when he said regarding uh, the leaders of these violent demonstrations, their struggle is not over the 1967 borders, but over the very existence of Israel, which they describe as a catastrophe that must be resolved. I mean, the existence of Israel is a catastrophe that must be resolved. And then he goes on to say, it is, is important that we look with open eyes at the reality and be aware of whom we are dealing with and what we are dealing with. Uh, since the rebirth, and that was the end of the quote, since the rebirth of Israel in May 1948, the universal Arab goal um, has been to annihilate the Jew and take Israel back. That a few million Jews could defeat and humiliate 300 million angry Arabs is a testimony to the protective power of God. Amen. Uh, the book, The Israel Omen, which is just one of many, thoroughly details how God's protective mantle fell over Israel as she returned to her land in 1948. The author gives many details of miraculous divine protection during the many battles Israel has had to endure these past 63 years. God is on the throne, and tiny Israel will never be thrown out of her land again. Uh, see Amos, Amos 9. Now, let us return to our featured story. Israeli's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu states... Quote, no state has ever successfully reached a negotiated settlement with a jihadist enemy who avows a religious obligation to destroy it. Well put. Well put. How can you negotiate a settlement or a peace accord with a jihadist enemy that has avowed and has a religious obligation to destroy you? This has been the point I've tried to make over and over again. 
It is impossible. So why is Israel constantly expected to be the first? That's what Benjamin Netanyahu says. So, I mean, why is Israel expected to be the first to successfully negotiate a settlement with these Muslims that have a religious obligation to destroy the Jews and wipe them off the map? Then he goes on to say, when will this jihad end? The Hamas charter quotes Hassan el-Banna, the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, um, who says, quote, Israel will rise and remain erect until Islam eliminates it as it has eliminated its predecessors, end of quote. So that's their solution. Total annihilation of the Jews. And we're going to give you some more confirmation of that later. Do not ever be deceived on this point. The aim of the Arabs is to annihilate Israel. God foretold this would be the case at the end of the age and warned that his judgment would fall upon those that hated Israel. Um, Joel 3.1 For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, that's Joel 3.1. Now we're going to get back to that verse, but we're going to segue now into Zechariah 12.2 and 3 and Zechariah 9 and 10. And these are these will be kind of confirming of some of the verses I said previously. So we already read Joel 3.1, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, this is the, essentially the days and times we're living in, they've been returned to the land. Zechariah 12.2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. And this is the, this is the end times, this is particularly in reference to also the tribulation period. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling, Unto all the people round about, well, isn't that, aren't they surrounded by their enemies? Pretty much. And when they shall be in siege against both Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdened stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Now, isn't that what Islam is all about? And again, you could also look at a lot of other places in the Bible that we had referenced uh, previously. You know, um, Psalm 83 and the other uh, chapters, where there's going to be many nations coming against Israel. But the ones that obviously have the biggest axe to grind in the most immediate proximity are the the uh, the uh, Muslims, obviously. Okay, So, I will make Jerusalem a couple of trembling unto all the people round about, and they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Isn't that what they are? Haven't, haven't they been doing that for the last ten years? With their daily rocket attacks, with every, you know the suicide bombings, they've been in siege against Israel. And in that day, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people? One of the biggest reasons Jerusalem is uh, is so contentious for them is, is supposedly it's the third holiest site of Islam. They want to totally control the Temple Mount. They want to totally control East Jerusalem. Um, but ultimately, what they really want is the total annihilation of the Jews. They can say all day long that we want uh, land for peace and all this other garbage, but you know, every time they've been given land, all they do is move their rockets in closer so they can get a better shot. <laughs> so, going further, um, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. So see, this is another prophecy against these Islamic nations, against these other secular, worldly nations that are going to come against Israel, they are going to be cut in pieces. Through uh, Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. You see, it doesn't matter if there's every single nation on the planet is against Israel. It, it, in God's eyes, you know, 
do you, you don't think God can't still protect Israel? I don't care what the odds are. He just gets more glory. The bigger the odds against Israel, the more glory the Lord's going to get. I just hope that they have eyes to see that it is the Lord's hand that is doing this. And this is something that we should pray for the Jews, that their eyes be opened. Um, because blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. And we're going to go over that verse a little bit later. Um, so, then we skip ahead to Zechariah 12.9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. That come against Jerusalem, I'm sorry. And I will pour, and again, I believe this is more in reference to the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, And I will pour upon the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced meaning Jesus Christ. Now remember, this was written in the Old Testament. This was written before Jesus Christ ever came to the earth. This is just one of the many prophecies that Jesus um, is going to fulfill and already has fulfilled, you know, hundreds of them, just at his, uh, the day he died alone, he, he fulfilled, I mean, a dozens and dozens just in that one day. So, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In other words, they're finally going to have their eyes opened to what collectively the nation of Israel did to Jesus Christ. Because when uh, Pilate came and he, he offered them Barabbas, he said, you know, why don't you take Barabbas, essentially, instead? You know, now I don't want to kill Jesus. He's a righteous man. He didn't do anything. Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But... They said, no, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, let his blood be upon us and our children. They asked for a curse to be put upon them collectively as a nation. Now, I'm not saying there's not remnants in, in Israel, and the Bible even talks about the remnant, that, that you know, obviously the apostles and those that, that went, they first went to the Jews, and there was a lot of people that got saved, but I'm talking about the majority of people in Israel have been blinded. Blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And we're, again, we're going to talk about that later. So if you don't understand that fully, hopefully you will when we've covered that. But they're going to finally mourn for him, for Jesus Christ, as one that mourneth for his only son. This blindness that the Bible speaks about is going to be lifted. And um, that's Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. Basically, you know, lay it all out for you. I went into these verses a lot more in detail in other studies as well, but for today's the purpose of today's study, I just don't have time to go a lot further. So, you can pencil in the date, May 1948, as the day at which God reversed the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Um, meaning he brought them back into the land, May of 1948. At this point, the rest of God's warning is alive and energized. So, if we go back to Joel, and we go to verse... Uh, Joel 3, verse 2 and 9, it says, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Isn't that kind of what happened to Israel after Jesus Christ was crucified and Jesus Christ predicted that it was going to happen? They, went, they, they were scattered among the nations. Okay? And then it says, imparted my land... Okay, Israel was parted at that point. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. And it happened initially, you know, after the crucifixion through the Roman Empire. And the Jews were, were, were driven and scattered among the nations. And then he brought them back. 
You know, and this is what they're in reference to here in May of 1948. He brought him back into the land. So there's a lot of other verses you could look at as well that are also amazing when it comes to the subject. Um, so, uh, let's see here. The world is spinning toward this kind of conflict, God against Israel's enemies, most of whom are Arab. Once the formation of the ten supernations of the Club of Rome is completed, which would be representative of the, of the ten horns in the book of Daniel, uh, once this is completed, this conflict will speedily commence, doubt it not. So that was the report from Cutting Edge. And I received a timeline of disasters on the U.S. Uh, when America sells out Israel. This is a um, uh, kind of a partial list. I went through, and I'm, I'm just hitting the high points. I had a uh, Charles, a listener, sent this to me, and I added a little bit to it, and I took a little bit away. I just... For the purpose of today's study, it's a pretty big list, and I just wanted to really hit the high points. But these are just some things that we can look at that are pretty undeniable. Uh, he says, Scott, after Obama decided to sell out Israel, I chose to update my list. Most of this stuff you've probably seen, Charles. So, let's just look at when we have done some things against Israel, when our policy rules against Israel, when we put pressure on Israel to sell out or give up her land or turn her back on her, what happens to America? Okay, let's look at some things. Uh, let's start October 30th, 1991. Um, a meeting scheduled by Bush, the Israelis, and the Palestinian authorities discussed ways to achieve peace in the Middle East. Talks focused on trading land for peace agreement. Now, we know that that's never worked, nor will it ever work. So, that was October 30th, 1991. So we were all discussing ways, uh, the U.S., Israelis, and the Palestinian authorities to achieve peace in the Middle East. And it was focused on trading land for peace, which is an absolute abomination in the sight of God. Remember what we just read, they have parted my land, you know, in the verse that we just talked about. Um, uh, I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. They're still attempting to part the land, okay? Well, what happened in the U.S. on that same exact, well, one day later, October 31st, 1991. It was called the Perfect Storm off New England. 30-foot waves, 100, it was one of those 100-year storms. It was, it was a really, really bad one. Did, you know, tons and tons and tons of damage. Uh, another date, January 5th, 1992. Continuation of the Madrid Conference meets in Washington. Another, uh, all of these conferences are essentially pressuring Israel to, Give up, give up, give up. Whether it be land, rights, whatever. Um, you look at um, Hurricane Andrew then on August 24th, 1992. Um, and then going forward, um, let's see here. January of 1993, Rabin accepts the Oslo Accords. And um, I believe Rabin, uh, the President Prime Minister of Israel, called for the withdrawal of Israeli forces from parts of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, and affirmed a Palestinian right of self-governance in those areas. Um, well, then we can look at what happened in America. Blizzard of 1993, 300 people killed, 6 billion in damages, and then also the Great Flood of 1993, which killed 50 and had 15 billion in damages. Um, January 17th of that same... No, 1994. January 17th, 1994, Israel decides to talk about the withdrawal from the Golan Heights, 
direct result of the Oslo Accords. So in other words, if Israel's doing any of this, it's always as a result of its supposed allies, America being the chief, typically putting pressure on Israel to do these things. Well, the same day, January 17th, was the LA earthquake, which caused $24 billion in damages and killed 57. And typically when you see a death rate, it's, it's always way, way underblown. Whenever you see death rates where it says, oh, we 57, a lot of times you can times that by 10. They, they like to lie to you about death rates. They did a lot of that with Katrina. Um, over and over they have done this. And um, it's, I guess it's so that people don't get too you know, up in arms about anything. Oh, you know, 50 died or 20 or whatever. But, you know, you had like higher numbers. I guess they think people might panic. I don't know. Going further... Next one, as Secretary of State Albright works on the final details of an agreement in which Israel would give up 13% of uh, Yessa, which is Judah and Samaria, on September 28th, Clinton meets with Yasser Arafat and Netanyahu at the White House to finalize this land deal. Again, it's land for peace garbage. Later, Arafat addresses the United Nations about declaring an independent Palestinian state by May of 1999. As Hurricane George pounds the Gulf Coast, causing one billion in damage. At the exact time that Arafat departs the country, the storm begins to dissipate. So Hurricane George slammed into the United States Gulf Coast with 110 mile per hour winds and gusts up to 175 miles per hour. The hurricane hits the coast and stalls. And I mean, as this, as as I'm sitting here in total darkness doing the study here, other than the light of the computer. Um, and we just had this tremendous windstorm whip through here, like out of nowhere. It, it reminds me of this, you know, because of all the pressure that Obama is putting on Israel and Netanyahu to go back to these um, 1967 borders or whatever. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Next, um, next thing: October 15, 1998, Arafat and Netanyahu meet at the Y River Plantation in Maryland. The talks are scheduled to last five days with a focus on Israel giving up 13% of uh, Yeshua. The talks are extended to conclude on October 23rd. And then on October um, 15th through 22nd, which is in this time period uh, that they're at these talks, Texas is flooded. Um, on October 17th, awesome rains and tornadoes hit southern Texas. The San Antonio area is deluged with rains. The rain and flooding in Texas continue until October 22nd and then subside. Um, and the floods ravage, which would be exact time the, the, the talk stopped, October 22nd. Um, the floods ravage 25% of Texas and leave over $1 billion in damage. On October 21st, then, Clinton declares the section of Texas a major disaster area. Next one. November 30th, 1998, Arafat comes to Washington again to meet with President Clinton to raise money for the Palestinian state, with Jerusalem as its capital. That's their goal. Uh, well, their goal is total annihilation of the Jews, but they got to, you know, it's incremental. A total of 42 other nations were represented in Washington. All the nations agreed to give Arafat $3 billion in aid. Yeah, I would definitely give Satan $3 billion in aid. I mean, he's richly deserving of it. I mean, come on. And then Clinton promised $400 million and the European nations $1.7 billion. I mean, unbelievable. Well, what happened the same day? November 30th, 1998, same day. Market... Capitalization evaporates. On the same day, the Dow Jones average dropped 216 points. And on December 1st, the European market had its third worst day in history. 
Hundreds of billions of market capitalizations were wiped out in the U.S. and in Europe. Now remember, both America and Europe were the ones that gave the money to this uh, Arafat, $3 billion in aid. So they're the two places that got hit uh, the hardest financially. And again, it's almost like, okay, we give them aid and we, um, we get hit in the wallet. Which is where a lot of the, you know, if you want to deal with somebody that's evil in the elite, you know, uh, the money is their god. So because we gave them aid, it's it's almost as though the god said, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go after, uh, I'm gonna hit you where you know you struck at Israel, which is you know you gave the, you gave Satan this money, and now I'm gonna take away you know yours and um, evidence by what I just talked about, hundreds of billions of market capitalization were wiped out in both the U.S. and in the Europe. So, let's go further. May 3rd, 1999, Clinton meets with Arafat to negotiate with Israel. Uh, let's see here. The U.N. General Assembly calls on Israel to cease settlement activities in East Jerusalem and other occupied territories. Clinton writes that the Palestinians have a right to determine their own future on their own land and that they deserve to live free today, tomorrow, and forever. What happened the same exact day? Tornado outbreak kills 48, 1.5 billion in damages in the, in the United States. The most powerful tornado system ever to hit the United States sweeps across Oklahoma and Kansas. This is the same day. The winds are clocked at 316 miles per hour, the fastest wind speed ever recorded. Oh, but all of this is just coincidence. None of it means anything, right? You know, some people would say that. Uh... October 11th, 1999, Jewish settlers in um, the West Bank are evicted from the covenant land in Israel. Same day, Dow Jones financial average loses 5.7 in the worst week since October of 1989. On October 15th, the Dow lost 266 points. Also, October 16th, in California, 7.1 earthquake. October 17th, Hurricane Irene, just days after Irene moved through Florida, President Bill Clinton declared 18 counties as disaster areas. President Clinton declared that 66 counties in North Carolina were eligible for assistance. But again, it's all just a bunch of coincidences. Uh, April 30th, 2003, the roadmap to peace was begun. Uh, Again, this is another, you know, land for peace, pressure on Israel type of deal. Well... On April 31st, in America, 401 tornadoes touched down. 401. More severe weather broke out this week alone than any other week in U.S. history. 48 deaths, 1 billion in damage. Okay, let's go forward. April 18th, 2004, under U.S. pressure, Prime Minister Sharon announces his intention to withdraw unilaterally from the Gaza Strip, as well as a small number of settlements in the West Bank. So again, it's more land for peace garbage, with us being the one putting the pressure on on Israel to do this. Well, on May 22nd, the widest tornado outbreak recorded. Tornadoes reached a peak width of 2.5 miles. I mean, that's like beyond an F5 or whatever, as it tore through southeastern Nebraska in 2004. Also, there was a hurricane outbreak in 2004. Charlie, which, you know, just about... I mean, that was the closest... uh, We were real close to being 
uh, right in the center of Charlie's path where Taylor and I lived at the time. And um, so I have no firsthand, you know, pretty much the power of that storm. But Charlie, Francis, Ivan, and Rita, 53 billion in damages, 303 deaths. So, I mean, that was a, it was just like one after another, after another, after another hurricane, just crisscrossing the state. It was, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, going forward, August 5th, I uh, believe, let's see here. 05, August 5th of 05. Jewish families were evicted from their homes in Gaza communities as part of Ariel Sharon's disengagement plan. This disengagement was a response to the American foreign policy pressure being exerted by Condoleezza Rice. One of my favorites. As the world watched the Jews being removed from their homes, a weather system was forming in the Atlantic. This storm became Hurricane Katrina, which destroyed New Orleans, um, Louisiana, which is Mrs. Condoleezza Rice's home state, and an area the size of Britain. Rendering thousands of Americans homeless and leaving thousands dead, Hurricane Katrina also spoiled the Southern Decadence Weekend, planned for by the homosexual community for New Orleans. Um, Hurricane Katrina, 84 billion in damages, 1,836 deaths. I believe that's incredibly conservative. Louisiana was, you know, just about destroyed. So, there's another one for you. Uh, let's go further. Okay, now we're to current. Now, granted, there's been a whole bunch, there's probably happened in between and since then and these types of things, but just to kind of refresh uh, your memory on what's happened in the last couple days, um, May 20th, Obama then makes this statement that he wants to Israel to return to its 1967 borders, which is pretty much an unprecedented statement by any sitting American president. Okay. So Satan himself says he wants Israel to return to the 1967 borders, which Benjamin Netanyahu said are absolutely indefensible. I mean, they, they've already got the rockets so close, Israel is such a little tiny piece of land as it is. The 1967 borders would make basically Israel about nine miles wide. You could probably shoot a, a rocket over the other side and hit the other side. So it's indefensible, in other words. Okay, and I know I've read this many times, but let's just, little perspective here, if somebody's listening to me for the first time. Uh, let's see here. Israel is a Jewish democratic nation. One, one-nineteenth the size of California. And is and I mean, if they give up these pre-1967 borders, I don't even know what it will be. Probably like Rhode Island. Or actually, hold on, it is. It's only two times the size of Rhode Island. Sorry. Uh, and it, literally, I mean that. And it is one of the smallest nations on the face of the earth. With only about 8,000 square miles of land mass, it is roughly two times the size of Rhode Island. Okay, well, if they give up these borders, I don't even know. Might, may, might, might not even be one times the size of Rhode Island. Israel is 260 miles at its longest, has a 112-mile coastline, is 60 miles at its widest, in between 3 and 9 miles at its narrowest. The nation of Israel is surrounded by 22 hostile Arab-Islamic dictatorships that are 640 times her size and 60 times her population and are hell-bent on annihilating her and wiping her off the map and annihilating and killing every inhabitant that would call themselves a Jew. And that's a fact. Arab propagandists call Israel expansionist. Oh yeah, they really sound expansionist to me. I mean, they're just, you know, they're all over the place. They're just gobbling up land like you wouldn't believe. No, actually, it's been the other way around. They've tried to give up land. They've tried to do this and they've tried to do that. And the only thing they do, as I've said before, is they just move the rockets in a little bit closer so they can get a better shot on them. Um, 
they call Arab propagandists call Israel expansionists. There is no truth in the statement of as Israel occupies one sixth of one percent. Not one sixth of the land called Arab. One sixth of one percent of the lands called Arab in the Middle East. There are 13 million Jews in the world, and again, at the time of the writing, there was almost 5 million fewer than there were in 1939, and 300 million Arabs, and 1.4 billion Muslims. So, I mean, a little perspective. for, And i got a map here that you know I've put in a lot of the teachings, and it shows you how tiny Israel is in comparison to the other countries in the Middle East. But... For some reason, those pesky Arabs, those, those pesky Muslims, they've just got to have this one little sliver of land. They've just got to have that. You know, it's like they've got all the 640 times her landmass. They could go anywhere in that land and live and, and be with their fun Muslim brotherhood and, you know, go jihadding on weekends and do whatever they do, you know. But no, 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 they can't do that. They've got to focus in on Israel and... um who's obviously very expansionist, you know, I mean, we can obviously see that. Um, Arab propagandists and biased, irresponsible news services call Israel expansionist and the aggressor against the Arab people. Israel has fought only defensive wars to the Arabs. Uh, Israel's resistance to their aggression, which would lead to Israel's total destruction if allowed to go unchecked. I mean, what are they supposed to do? Just sit there and let the rockets rain down on them and let all the suicide bombs go off and say, well, we want to be politically correct. We don't want to step on any toes. We might aggravate them. I mean, these people are bent, totally bent on their total annihilation and destruction. So there's no way you can appease somebody like that. So anyway, I want to just throw that in. Um, because I almost have to throw that in every time we talk about this. So, on May 20th, 2011, uh, two days ago, Obama wants Israel to return to its 1967 borders. Okay? Okay, what happened in America? Or what's been happening? Montana. These are some headlines from just the last, and probably not near all of them, just some. Okay? Just from May 20th till now, Montana prepares for the worst flooding possible, hopes for the best. And I give you a link. We give you, or Charles gave you a link to all these stories. Another Another headline. Louisiana's Cajun country braces for historic flooding. I mean, flooding down there is like nothing they've hardly ever seen. I mean, whole towns and communities are wiped out from the flooding over the banks of the Mississippi. You know, and they blew the levees, you know, over the Numbadred fault line to saturate the ground. And, you know, <laughs> who knows what's going to become of that. Then, flooding to delay U.S. grain harvests. A lot of the... the because they blew the levees, a ton of farmland has been flooded, ruined. A lot of the um, crops in the area are flooded out, ruined, which will ultimately drive up food prices. Uh, then the next headline, be prepared for major flooding in Utah. Next headline, Columbia River levels remain near flood stage. Uh, next headline, May 21st, about 200 homes are damaged. This just happened yesterday, and at least 20 are destroyed after a reported tornado in Kansas Late Saturday, an emergency management spokesman said Sunday, severe storms hit northeastern Kansas from 6 o'clock till about midnight. This storm system that just went through here, who knows what it just did. Uh, I mean, I'm in North Carolina, I don't even know. But I mean, there's probably stuff going on right now. Netanyahu is actually here on our soil right now. And we're going to discuss that as well. Then he goes on to say, to be continued, the year isn't over. I mean, I shudder to think what's going to happen with America based on what, you know, I mean, never has a president come out and said this. Never has a, pre a U.S. president put this kind of pressure on Israel. 
Uh, well, he's a Muslim. Okay, he was brought up a Muslim in his homeland, Kenya, and then Indonesia. Okay, which you know you can. I believe it's easily provable. They've got whole things over in Kenya where, where he was born that they're you know they openly proclaim you know proud of. It is a well known fact that he was born. I mean, they're, they, they I've even seen the, um, uh, the the reports from the hospital where he was born and these types of things. He's a Muslim, okay? So of course he's going to side with them. Of course he's going to do all of these things to destroy America and these types of things. And I understand he is a puppet on a string. He's just obeying his handler's messages, but I believe it's truly in his heart to want to do these things as well. So going further, um, let's go ahead and stop there, and we'll go to part two next. If you would like to sign up for Scott Johnson's free Christian current events and health newsletters, please email him at drjohnson at ix.netcom.com. That's D-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N at the letter I, the letter X, dot N-E-T-C-O-M dot com with the word subscribe in the subject line. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.